0: Amen. And good morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that. Meet me over in John chapter 13. I've titled this message, Rethinking Leadership. We're in this short series called Rhythms because, well, we just believe that rhythms are better than goals. You know, goals have an end in sight, but, but rhythms care more about the certain kind of person you are than the things that you accomplish. And, and we believe around here that Jesus cares more about who you are than what you do. We believe that he cares more about identity than activity. So today, I want to talk about what I think might be one of the most important aspects of the Christian life, and one that may be lacking more than any other right now in 2023, and that is servant leadership. You know, last week, most of us turned on the television screen, and we we got to peer into the chambers of the House of Representatives as we watched a congressman Almost be fought because he was not willing to cast a vote. He was demeaned until he casted the vote. Every day you can turn on the political news stations and instead of hearing the facts, what you'll hear is rhetoric about the other side. You'll hear things like conservatives are terrible people because they don't believe about they don't believe in the poor or equality and and liberals are undisciplined and ungodly. By the way, by the way, both of those are untrue. You can turn on the TV, and what you'll see is that leadership is praised for being domineering, cutthroat leadership. They 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 tend not to give the benefit of the doubt. We measure good leaders based on how much money they make or or what they look like or the bravado that they have. And can I just can I just tell you that thousands of years ago the same mistake was made in Israel? When when, when the Israelites were choosing their king to lead the country, they, they looked at a man like this, a man named Saul, and God warned them that God doesn't look at the external appearance, but he looks at the heart. Y'all, we have a leadership problem. We have a leadership problem. We're teaching ourselves, and sadly, we're teaching our kids that success in life is about being a downright jerk and a bully. The workplace attitude translates into kids' sports where, where we get in trouble all the time, even out on their fields. Just this year, a professional football player and his brother were arrested because they literally shot the Little League football coach over a dispute of the game. Here's what we know, we have a leadership problem. We have a leadership problem. I hear people say all the time whenever the presidential candidates come out, it's like, really, that's the best we can do? That's it? The reality is, they're reflection of us. The people who are elected to Congress are there because they represent us. As much as we don't like to admit it, we need to rethink leadership altogether. We need a better example if we're going to take the mantle and set the pace for culture and the trajectory of this world to be changed. And here's what, we, here's what I've been thinking about all week, honestly, is we don't need a new form of leadership. What we need to do is we need to go back. We need to go back and look at some of the good leadership of our past. We need to look at leaders like we celebrate today, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who, who decided that he was going to exhibit a sacrificial life in order to, in order to emulate a better future. But we need to go even back further than that. We need to go back to the example and examine the greatest leader of all time, the greatest leader in human history, God himself and Jesus who stepped off of his throne to live the life we could never live, to sacrifice everything to give us life. So today I wanna give you six marks of the type of leader that Jesus has called us to be and then I wanna call you to become those kind of leaders. If you're ready, jump in with me and John 13, we're going to look at verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end. Number one, servant leaders are marked by love. Servant leaders are marked by love. You know, when John says that he had loved them to the end, he's not talking about the end of time. He's not talking about the last day of his life. He's not using sequence of time to do that. What John is saying is he loved them to the fullest extent of his love. He's saying he loved them to the end of love, like he gave everything to them. You know, Jesus' hour had come, and the one thing that they talked about at the end of his life was how much he had loved the people around him. Y'all, I don't know about you, But I hope that one day when you dig that hole in the ground and somebody puts me in it, that they might look at you and they might say, man, I don't, he made a lot of mistakes in his life. But the one thing he did is he loved us to the fullest extent of his love. Can there be anything better to be said about anyone than that? Servant leaders are marked by love more than anything else. Y'all, chapter 13 in the book of John is a turning point in the gospel of John. If you didn't know this, you're reading about the very last day of his life. The first half of the book of John covers about 33 years of Jesus' life. And then from this point on, it's the last day of Jesus' life. Right before he dies, what he does is he takes a discourse of time from chapters 13 through like 19 to teach his disciples some things that they should know before they ascend into heaven. And it's no accident that the very first thing he teaches them is how to sacrificially love one another. Again, did you know that this this right here, it's the most important thing you can know. John is putting that here because he wants you to know the most important event in all of human history is Jesus putting his love on display by dying in your place. Before, before we even dive into the details, let that sink in for a second. Even John would say it this way in John chapter three, for God so loved. For God so loved that he gave his only son. You know Think about that for a second. The type of leadership that Jesus exhibited, he was not demanding that you submit to him. He didn't come as an authoritative king to lord things over you. No, he won the affections of the entire world by serving and loving them. Can I just say this? The world would be a completely different place if Christians stopped trying to be liked and just started loving. But you, know, you know if you do leadership right, there are gonna be people that don't like you. But even Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, by how you serve them, although they might not like you, some of them are going to come to faith on the day of visitation because of how you love them. What if that's what we were known for? Now now look at the passage carefully. Look at it. Jesus knew that his hour had come. He knew that. He knew that this was the last day that he would have on earth. And by the way, it's significant that this day comes at the Passover. Do you, do you remember the Passover? The Passover is the greatest event in Israel's history where they come out of the Exodus and, and they're moving over into their new promised land. But before they do that, the very last thing that God does is he tells them, hey, if you want to live, if you want to live, this isn't just, this is for all people. What I need you to do is I need you to take the blood of the lamb and put it over your doorpost and I'm going to pass over your house. It's a picture, what Jesus is showing you is that this blood of the lamb would actually be a picture of himself who, watch this, Jesus would be the lamb that would take the blood of his life, put it on the cross so that God could pass over your sins and that he could love you. It is the greatest example of love. So John, John wants you to begin to see that servant leadership, servant leadership begins in Jesus. He's the one who took on flesh to live in your place at the expense of his own life. On the very last day of Jesus' life, the only people he is thinking about is everybody but himself you know on christmas my my family received a gift in the mail of amazon gift cards for each one of our kids from my from my buddy mark and you might be thinking okay what's the big deal the reality is is when we received that my buddy mark had died of cancer 2 months prior And in the last month of his life, all he did was plan out how he can serve everybody but himself. And when we opened up that mailbox and we received those gift cards, y'all, I'm just telling you, it made an impact on our lives because that's the type of people we should be. The type of people that in our very last moments, what we do is we're thinking about how we can serve one another. Jesus knew that he came to save the world. And in that moment, he didn't think about himself. He thought about you. So here's the first mark. The first mark of a servant leader is loving other people. Again, what you're going to find today is this, is everything I'm going to tell you, you're not going to find in a leadership book. These aren't the principles, the the five characteristics that that Stephen Covey will tell you to be a great leader. No, but these are the principles that Jesus Christ would tell you to be a great leader. So because I always, every sermon that I do that I get real practical in, you guys like this. I want to give you a list. All right, here's a list. I'm going to name A, B, and C of simple practical ways that you can love people well. Here's letter A. Compliment them. Compliment them. Y'all, in a world full of criticism, a compliment goes a long way. You, you, You realize we don't live in a saturated world of happiness, right? We live in a world where most people are depressed and put down. And if you live in Alpharetta, Georgia, we have some of the highest depression and suicide rates in the country. We, don't, we live in a place where people don't feel like they measure up. They feel rejected and, and they, they feel like they need somebody to compliment them. And one of the easiest ways to love people well is simply to point out the good that you see in other people. What if every single day, what if every single day you simply complimented someone? I've shared this with you before. Psychologists will tell you it will begin to create what they call the positivity cycle in people's lives. What will end up happening is as you call it the good that you see in people, you begin to call that the truth out in them that they have a hard time seeing it in themselves. And the more you do that, the more they'll begin to exhibit that and become that, and then they will do it in the people around them. Y'all, I think that Christ followers more than anybody need to train themselves to see the good in the world and call it out in the people around them. Here's letter B. Forgive them. Forgive them. Now, I've told you this before, you need to nuance this. In the Bible, there's a major difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. See, forgiveness is a one-way street. Let me just tell you, as Christ followers, we're commanded to forgive. Now, I think that we should always, as Christ followers, seek reconciliation, but that's a two-way street and it might not be possible. Believers need to train themselves to be forgiving. Even Jesus, when he was nailed on the cross, the very last thing he said is, Father, forgive them, forgive them. Yo, know, this is powerful stuff. Jesus was the first person in human history to say, love your enemies. You know, I, I love the story of Corey Ten Boom. If you've never heard it, she was a, a Dutch girl whose family decided that they were going to rail against the Nazi regime by hiding Jews and helping them escape into the Netherlands. Well, her and her sister, they, they ended up getting caught and they get put into a concentration camp. And, and she survived, but her sister Betsy did not. After the Holocaust ended in 1947, Corrie Ten Boom, she was invited to go back to Germany to share the gospel and talk about forgiveness. She told the audience that night that Jesus had thrown all of their sins into the bottom of the sea. And it was this monumental moment until afterwards as a man comes walking up to the stage to talk to her and she begins to recognize his face as the person in the concentration camp who had tortured her and killed her sister y'all she said she said forgiveness is really easy but not that guy there's absolutely no way that i could ever forgive that guy here's what she said it all came rushing back to me in the huge room with the harsh overhead lights the pathetic pale dresses and shoes at the center of the floor the shame of walking naked past that man i could see my sister's frail form behind me her ribs sharp beneath the parchment of her skin she said betsy how thin you've become I remember the leather whip in his belt. Now he's in front of me and he thrusts out his hand to me and he says, that was a fine message. How good it is to know that God has taken all of our sins and put them at the bottom of the sea like you said. Y'all, she was stunned in that moment. She could not forgive. But then she said, I remembered this. She said, Christian forgiveness isn't an option. She said, bitterness paralyzes and unforgiveness Unforgiveness will destroy me, but forgiveness isn't an emotion. It's an act of the will. So I, choose, I chose to forgive. Here, here she, says, she said: she said, Jesus, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't lift my hand. I need you to do it. So she thrust her hand out and she stretched it out to him. And as she did, listen to what she said. She said an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, it raced down into my arms, it sprang into the joints of my hand, and then this healing warmth seemed to come over me and over my whole body, and tears came into my eyes, and I said, I forgive you, brother. I forgive you with all of my heart. She said, I've never known the intensity of the love of God like I did in that moment. You realize, when you forgive, you begin to realize what it took for God to forgive you. Y'all, the Christian life needs to be marked by forgiveness because you, more than anyone, should know the love of God in Christ. Listen, he loved you to the end. To the fullest extent of his love, he put on flesh, stepped off of his throne in heaven, he walked your life, died in your place, he loved you to the end. Do you realize that in this story, Jesus knew that there was a traitor sitting in the room right next to him and he loved him anyway. You realize that you can walk away from him a million times and he loves you to the end. Servant leadership needs to be marked by love, and love is marked by forgiveness. Letter C, letter C, serve them. Serve them. We're going to get into this in just a second, but let me just tell you this. Loving people means being quick to serve. Culture will tell you that you should serve people only if they deserve for you to serve them. There's a transactional relationship that happens in most leadership circles. If someone deserves your time or if they elevate your status, you tend to serve them. If you don't, then you write them off. Like that might work in the world, but that's not what God has called us to. Loving is about going first. It's a choice that says that I'm going to serve the people around me even if they don't deserve it. Like Tim Keller said, listen to what he said. He said this, actions of love lead to feelings of love. It's the same thing Corey Timboom said. It's, it's an act of the will. Can I just tell you, if you don't like someone, the best way to soften your heart towards them is start praying for them and start serving them. There's nothing more humbling than that. And it might might seem counterintuitive, but that's the way that God made it to be. Notice, notice that Jesus teaches his disciples. Again, you're gonna see this. The very first thing he does from 13 to 19 is teach his disciples. But do you know what he does before he does anything? He touches his disciples. He gets down on his knees and washes their feet including Judas's. Y'all, there was a physical act of love as he served them before he told them anything to do. Here's the deal. If you and I would serve before we teach, our words would land differently. If we would exhibit love before we ever did anything to tell the world what they're doing, if we'd get off our platforms and onto our knees, we would change the world around us. Jesus is going to teach them a lot of stuff. But before he ever does that, what he does is he gets down on his knees in the most powerful way and he serves them. Everything about the gospel is upside down. Everything about it. Jesus didn't wait for you until he died for you. He came to serve and not be served. And he set as an example for all of us what it would look like to turn the world upside down. The greatest act of love in the world is deciding to serve the people around you even if they don't deserve it. All right, number two. Servant leaders are marked by tenderness. Again, that's probably not gonna make your top 10 business list of great leaders. But I want you to notice how kind Jesus is throughout this passage. Look at verse two. During supper, which I think John must have been Southern, well, I'd say dinner, but dinner is supper. When the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, knowing, or Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. You know, there's some details in here that matter. The devil had already put into Judas' heart to betray Jesus. Listen, the all-knowing God, that's important. The all-knowing God knew that Jesus was going to betray him. He knew that the sellout was sitting at the table with him, and I want you to notice what John says, that God had already given all things into Jesus' hands. That means that the all-powerful, all-knowing God, the one that John will tell you spoke the world into existence, the one that can do anything, decided to take his power and wash the feet of his enemy. Here's the deal. The one who told you to love your enemies loved his enemy. And you know why? Because he didn't have anything to prove. See, he knew who he was. He wasn't insecure about anything. And that's what put him in a position to serve. Here's the deal. When you are secure in your identity, you can serve because you don't have anything to prove. But if you and I always have this fear of what people think about us, we're not going to serve. When Peter does what Peter does and acts like a fool in front of Jesus... You notice that Jesus doesn't make fun of him. He doesn't call him an idiot. He simply says in the kindest rebuke, Peter, you don't know what you're talking about. Now, I, I need you to hear how the force of how amazing that is because Peter does this at nauseum. Think about your kids. I mean, the real world example, I have four kids and continually all day long, we tell them the same exact thing over and over. Am I the only one? Right? At nauseum don't do that don't do that don't uh, my, my daughter don't sit in the chair like that don't sit in the chair like that don't sit in the chair like that you would almost think it's a like I just need to record it and press play and I get frustrated Jesus doesn't he just says Peter you don't know what you're talking about just hang in there you know we live when we live in a world filled with criticism but here's what I know It's easier to criticize than contribute. It's easier to criticize than contribute. So so the next time you think about playing Monday morning quarterback and and, and you think about like all the things you could do different, here's what I want you to do is I want you to stop thinking about it and go make a difference. Y'all, it's hard out there. It's hard out there. And if we would start with the presupposition that maybe, maybe just maybe I don't agree with what you're doing, but actually I think that you have good intentions and you're working really hard. Do you realize how much different the world would be? It's easier to criticize than it is to contribute, but I'm telling you, calling the shots is really difficult. Leading is hard. It's not easy to make tough decisions, especially whenever you know that tough decisions are going to be controversial. And here's one of the things I've learned. Doing the right things is most likely the most difficult thing to do. So what we do instead is we sit behind computer screens and we lob grenades at one another because it's a lot easier to criticize and contribute. We, we jump to conclusions, and we tend not to give the benefit of the doubt but can I tell you, people are watching. Here's my question for you. If the world had to make a decision on what they think about Jesus based on how you act, post, and respond on social media, would their conclusion be that Jesus is tender? See, servant leaders are no more for contribution than criticism. They're no more for tenderness than harshness. Number three, servant leaders are sacrificial. After he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now. See how tender that is, but afterwards you'll understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Now, sometimes I get emotional just reading this. The savior of the world, the God of the universe, put on human flesh and washed our feet. I don't know if you're computing how nasty that is. That's the dirtiest job on the planet. Matter of fact, the, the, the Hebrew Jewish Mishnah would even tell you that Hebrew slaves don't even have to do this. Y'all, you walk around with on clouds on nice roads. They walked around with nasty Birkenstocks in the desert all day. I can't imagine how disgusting those nasty feet would have been. I don't even like my own kid's feet, much less these disciples' feet. You know, one day I made... Um, I made a rookie mistake my first year in ministry to teach on this passage. And I thought I had this great idea. It was a terrible idea. I said, like, I'm going to teach on this in my youth group. And, I'm, and we're actually going to wash one another's feet. So I went to our, our pastor and I said, hey, um, I got this idea and I want to begin. Like I want to, I want to start by washing feet. Could you, could you come and let me wash your feet? He's like, sure, man, I'll come. And so he, in my, my mind, I'm thinking, you're going to do some prep work here, right? You're going to do some pre-washing, get things right? No. No, the brother walked in with was like 40-year-old penny loafers on and like those gold-toed old, old man socks that had holes in the bottom of it. And I'm like, he, he started taking off his shoe and I'm, I'm like gagging. Like, if you talk to my wife, you should tell, I hate feet. And I'm like, like, like it, 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 his feet look like he'd been rocking, walking on rocks and stomping on dirty diapers, it smelled like. And I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> so, so I get down and I kid you not, I'll never do that again. It was the worst experience of my life. And all I could think about was, it's a picture of my heart and what Jesus would do for me. That my, my feet are a physical representation of something deeper. Y'all think about it. Jesus, who humbled himself, he rose from his place at the supper. He rose from his place at the supper like he would rise from a seat of prominence sitting on the throne of God. And instead of sitting in a comfortable position of power, he got up and came to us. He laid aside his outer garment of his deity so that he could enter into humanity, like Philippians 2 would tell us, that he would humble himself even to the point of death. And just as he poured water into a basin to wash you clean, he would pour out his blood on the cross so that he could wash away the sins of the world. And he would take the towel of a servant instead of the crown of a king. Y'all, Jesus did all of this so that he could wash the filth away from us. And if you think feet are nasty, I want you to sit for just a second and think about the picture. Can you imagine the way Jesus loves you, the way he served you? See, if you get the gospel, if you really get the gospel, you would would come to the same conclusion that Peter made. God, not only my feet, but my hands and my head too. You know what he's saying? You know what he's saying? My whole body, clean all of me, God. If this is what it means, then give it all to me. Now, real quick, because theology matters around here, I want to I wanna pause and tell you what's going on because because Peter misses the mark again, but I I love his sentiment. Jesus is going to tell him, he's gonna say, I've already bathed you, which is a a different Greek word than wash because Jesus is making a point of the mistake that Peter made. Here's the difference. The principle is this, is that Jesus wants you to know you don't have to clean all of you because the gospel is that Jesus already cleaned you. That you are as white as snow because he would die in your place, that he would absorb your punishment to give you new life. So he's looking at Peter saying, Peter, you don't have to save yourself, man. You don't have to save yourself. Here's the principle. If you're a believer, if you're saved by grace, you don't have to continue to pray a prayer and ask Jesus into your heart. But you do need to live in community so that you can continue to wash the feet of one another and grow in what we call sanctification. God's plan for our life is that we would walk together so that we would become whole. You see, leadership that changes the world is servant leadership. I promise you, if you would practice the humility of being a servant leader, what you would do is you begin to make a difference in the world. Because domineering personalities and charismatic leaders might climb the corporate ladder, but they're never going to change the world. I I heard this on a podcast just yesterday. Every grave site in the world is filled with people that were important to somebody and you don't even know their name. just want to be real for a second. You probably couldn't even tell me your great-great-grandfather's name. Because the reality is, like Moses says in Psalm 90s, we're here today and gone tomorrow, so Lord teach us to number our days that we might have a heart of wisdom. You know, you're not going to be here, but the impact that you make could change the trajectory of generations to come. I've heard it said that you can take two things with dynamite. You can either take dynamite, let's just say you up in an airplane, you drop it out in the sky and dynamite, it'd make a big old splash and everybody would see it from miles around and it'd make no impact. Or you can take the dynamite and you can go bury it in the ground. Most people would never see it, but he'd blow a hole in the earth that would stay there for a long time. Here's my question for you. What kind of life do you want to have? Do you want to have the type of life that makes a quick flash, people recognize you, you're here today and gone tomorrow, and nobody remembers you because you didn't make any impact? Or do you want to be the kind of person that buries your life deeply into the soil of love, into the ground that blows a cavern, if you will, into the lives of the people around you? where you might not ever have your name known and yet you'll make a legacy for the people that go before you and behind or people that go ahead of you that you change the trajectory of the future. I'm telling you Jesus has called us to be servant leaders because servant leaders change the world. Number 4. Servant leaders give undeserved grace. Jesus said to him, here it is the one who is bathed, you see it, does not need to wash except for his feet. Peter, you don't need to save yourself. I got you. But is completely clean. And you are clean. But not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed in his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? Notice the gentle rebukes. Even after Peter had made a fool out of himself again, even after he spent three years with Jesus, and he should have known better than anyone what the gospel is all about, he came to the same religious trap again, and Jesus reminds him, bro, you don't, you don't have anything to prove. I've already got you. There's so much grace in that. There's so much grace in what Jesus is saying. Listen to me. You don't need to try harder. I feel like sometimes I need to put that on rinse and repeat. You don't need to try harder. I say that you don't need to try harder. Like God is looking at you and all the activities that you set up for 2023, and he's looking at you and say, hey, you might want to wash your feet every now and then, but your body is clean, guys. You don't need to try harder. I've already done everything necessary to save you. And then in this undeserved grace, listen. Do you notice who else is sitting at the table with him? Scholars will tell you that the the scenes that you see of the Last Supper are actually wrong. They would have sat in these stacked formations where they laid their heads on each other's hearts and then they would feed the people next to them. And the two most prominent places would have been the place at the right hand and at the left hand of Jesus and you would have been invited there. They'll tell you that actually, if you look at the sequence, John would have been at the left hand of Jesus and Judas would have been right there with Jesus laying his head on his bosom on his heart. He had not been invited there. God knew, God knew who he was and everything in this passage indicates that Jesus washed his feet too. Here's one of the things I've learned and John Owen said it best. The seed of every sin is in every human heart. You know, here, you know if the, if the conditions are right, every one of us are capable of doing some really bad things. But it's only by the grace of God that you haven't. You, you know this, you failed. You fail whenever you begin to recognize that you could never do that. That's the first step of doing that. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the great Russian author, here's how he said it. The line between good and evil runs through every human heart. Don't get it twisted. All of us could have been Judas. But the only people who give undeserved grace are those who have experienced undeserved grace. And y'all, that's what makes gospel people different. Every single one of us should be people who give undeserved grace because you, more than anybody, should know that Jesus made a way for you. He absorbed your sin debt in your place to give you life. How in the world could we not be the most loving and most forgiving people on the planet if we understand how much God has done to forgive us? Charles Spurgeon, one deed is worth more than a thousand brilliant theories. Let us not wait for large opportunities or for a different kind of work, but do just the things we find to do day by day. Do you know how powerful it is when you just do one good deed for somebody who doesn't necessarily deserve it? When you lead with grace and not condemnation, the hearts of the people around you begin to melt. Y'all, servant leaders are marked by people who understand undeserved grace and as a result of the overflow of their experience with Jesus, they give undeserved grace. Number five, number five, servant leaders are marked by clarity. This one might sound a bit odd, but it's so valuable. Clarity is the key to leading well. If you look at this passage carefully, here's what you'll know is that Jesus was clear about his mission. He was clear about his position. And he was clear about his message. Too much gets lost in the translation of the world because, well, we're not courageous enough to be clear of people. So, so clarity, watch this, it's not harsh. It's just clear. I've told some of you guys this. If you've been around here a while, you've heard this. One of the most defining moments in my, mystery, my ministry happened about a decade ago when some friends of mine from the Summit Church came up to me and they said, hey man, like as you're going through this elder process, I want you to know that there's a blind spot that we've seen in your life. And if you don't resolve that, I think that down the road it's going to destroy you and it's your pride. Can not tell you that hurt deeply? And I walked away from there, beginning to examine in my own heart what that might be. And here's what, here's what God exposed. My, my pride was actually rooted in my insecurity. So I didn't think that I measured up. And because I didn't think I measured up, I overcompensated by putting you down. It was one of the most impactful moments in my life And here's what they taught me is that the gospel was enough for me and I don't have to prove myself. Y'all, their clarity created a security in me. But their clarity took courage too. See, it's a lot easier to be passive aggressive, to hold on to anger against your brother or your sister and become bitter. But as you do that, you begin to destroy your own heart and and you're robbing them of growth too. Both of those things are true. When you hold on to anger because you are too afraid to offend somebody, you begin to kill your own soul. By the way, I think that that's why there's so much negativity in the world right now. Like, we've created this atmosphere where we can't have civil discourse or good disagreeability. So, what we do is we end up holding on to our opinions, we end up holding on to our conversations, and it creates bitterness in ourselves. And when, when we're too afraid to confront somebody with grace and truth, those are, matter, those are important, we rob them of the ability to grow. Like, do you realize they're called blind spots? because we're blind to them. We need one another that are close enough to our lives to call these things out in us and that's why we live in community together. That's why we have these one another's. It is impossible to grow without clarity. So leaders are the type of people that lead with clarity. Now on the flip side of that, are you the type of person that will receive clarity from somebody else? Cuz I'm telling you, it takes a lot of humility and it's not easy. But I want you to notice I want you to notice how clear Jesus is in this passage. You ready? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so am I. If then, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. There's absolutely no ambiguity in what Jesus is saying. I've done this to set an example for you to do for one another. One of the most practical ways that you can wash the feet of the people around you is to be present in their life. Here's what I mean by that. I've said this before, proximity breeds empathy. It is really difficult to be in somebody's life if you're not close enough to do it. By the way, Jesus uses that one another on purpose. Paul does this in Romans 12. All these one another's, and here's why, because he's primarily talking about the church. Listen. I'm gonna get on an airplane tomorrow night and I'm gonna go to Southeast Asia. And one of the things I've learned is it's a lot easier to fly all the way across the world to serve people and pat yourself on the back than it is to sacrificially just serve the people right next to you. You know, we we, we believe this lie that like there's transformation by aviation. If I get on an airplane and I go somewhere else, I'm gonna be okay. And the reality is it takes a lot more guts and a lot more humility to serve the people right next to you and deal with the conflict that's right in front of you. I've told you this a million times, the thing that's going to destroy the church is not out there, it's us. It is us, whenever we feel like we've arrived, what ends up happening is we end up waiting on somebody else to wash our feet. And Jesus says, that's not how it works. He's called you to be a servant. Conflict ends with clarity. Like when you when you understand your role as a servant leader, you understand that Jesus has called you to stop waiting to be served and just start serving. You know what I find fascinating? The president in England, his name is the prime minister. Do you know what that means? They're the head of the church of England. Here's what it means. The chief servant. That's the role that they're supposed to play because they're the head of God's church. What's interesting to me is that that's what God has called all of us to do. You should be the chief servant. All of us should be laying down our lives to serve the people around us. Here's the clearest picture that Jesus gives. You're supposed to lead by serving, not by being served. So, Let me give you a few practical ways you can do that. All right? Letter A. Stop viewing yourself as a volunteer on Sundays. You know, when I'm at home, we don't volunteer. Like, I can't imagine if I came home and my nine-year-old was like, not my turn to wear the blue apron. I only serve once a month. You want me to take out the trash or clean my room? Not this week. (laughs) My my kids and us, we take out the trash when it's needed. We do the laundry when it's needed because that's what you do to be a part of the family. One of the most informative things a friend of mine, a guy named Rick Langston told me a long time ago, he says, Billy, you you have to understand that we don't have volunteers on Sundays. We have family members. And family members don't volunteer. They just clean up whenever it's necessary. That's a good word, y'all. I think sometimes I have to think about this. Every single person that calls City Church their home should realize you're a part of the family. All of you, all of us. Like we don't have to wait to be served. We serve because honestly, that's what we do. We wash the feet of the people around us. You aren't a volunteer. You're a servant leader. That's what God has called us to. Here's letter B. Don't gossip. See, gossip's a cancer that kills everyone. If you have an issue with somebody, the most godly thing you can do to serve them is to go talk to them. And here's what you'll find. 90% of the time, you just had a misunderstanding anyway. What you thought was true probably wasn't even true. I say it this way. Stop writing your own worst story. Grow up and go take care of it. When you are mature and when you're healthy, you'll have healthy confrontation and everyone wins because the easiest way to wash the feet of the church is to not let that stuff linger. Watch this, gossip kills the church and healthy confrontation matures the church and makes her more beautiful. Here's letter C, start practicing. Here's what I mean by that. Did you notice what Jesus said? Blessed are you if you do them. He didn't say blessed are you if you know them. It doesn't really matter if you know the right things to do. He's saying blessed are you if you do them. The one thing that, that I know is that Jesus has called all of us to an entirely different rhythm of life. The reason why goals don't matter but rhythms do is because he's called us to practice the type of people that he's called us to be. Listen, the church, the church does these things but they don't happen naturally. You get this, right? You don't just fall into being a servant leader. It's not like you just, all of a sudden, you wake up one morning, and you're like, man, I wanna go serve the world. No, you naturally want to be served. But Jesus says that we have to build these rhythms of practice into our life and we have to choose to be like Jesus. Here's what I know. If you want to be more like Jesus, stop trying to be like him and start being with him. The more you're with him, the more you'll become like him and the more you'll do what he does. Like the great South Side Chicago preacher, Charlie Dates says, you act the way you act because you believe what you believe. That's, That's just the truth. What you do and how you act is a reflection of what you actually believe. You can say all day long what you believe, but our lives speak our beliefs. So let me just ask you, what is your life speaking? We have to start practicing the presence of God and start walking with him like he walked and he says, blessed are you if you do what I do. The world changes when servant leaders lead like that. Number six, last one. Servant leaders lead by example. They go first. They go first. This might be the most important difference between godly leadership and cultural leadership. See, godly leadership isn't positional leadership it's relational leadership. Positional leadership says that I deserve to be served because of the position or the title that I hold. You know, Jesus had all the titles. Like he was king of kings and lord of lords. He was the Messiah. He was the Christ. He was the alpha and the omega. And the one who had all the titles chose the leadership style that you and I need to choose, which is he came to be, he came to be a servant, not to be served. Philippians 2, this great Christological hymn that Kelsey had quoted earlier, the one that predates the Gospels that Paul had referenced. Here's what he says about Jesus. It was, it was something that they would have recited all the time. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. I've told you this before. In the Bible, humility is always a verb, it's never a noun. You're not a humble person. You humble yourself. You, you, you do acts of humility. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Relational leadership says that I check my title at the door because in the family of God, we are all equals and I will serve you just like you would serve me. Positional leadership says I deserve something. God wants you to fill the gaps of what culture says so that you can show the world a different way. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if your boss served you? how significant that would be. Y'all, can I tell you a little secret, let you in a little secret? The the people who float to the top of leadership at City Church, our elders and our staff, the people who get there, listen, they're not the people who jockey for positions. They're the people who stack chairs and take out the trash. They're the people who lovingly serve well. I love our staff. Can I, I, I just... Sometimes I feel like an honor and a privilege and an undeserving privilege to work with Jim Boyle, who is an executive of a multinational company. Of Nelia Joyce, who has more degrees than anybody in this room. Of Clayton Phelps, who ran an athletic conference and um, and is a professor at Georgia State University. Y'all, and of Zach Norman, who is one of the most talented and gifted worship leaders I've ever seen, and every single one of them are here because they want to serve and not be served. I'm telling you, they could go do something else. I love our elders. Those men sacrifice so much that you don't ever see behind the scenes. They're constantly on phone calls. They're constantly counseling people. They're constantly loving people. And I think about Joe Outlaw. Joe Outlaw, who ran a a massive nonprofit, helped plant one of the more successful churches in America, and right now he's sitting in that room discipling seven middle school kids. They are servant leaders who love you sacrificially and love you well. They lead by example and they go first. Y'all, when the church goes first, the world has an example to follow. When culture goes first, everything gets jacked up. And Jesus has called us to the highest form of leadership and if you will reach for it, I'm telling you, you can make an impact in the world that has never seen before. So here they are. Servant leaders are marked by love, not domination. They're tender, not harsh. They're sacrificial, not selfish. They're gracious, not greedy. They're clear, not confusing. They're trendsetters, not cultural conformers. Again, you're not gonna find that in any leadership book. But that's the type of leadership that God has called us to and that's the type of leadership that if we would cultivate it this year would change the world around us. Now let me end by saying this. Jesus knew in that moment that Peter would mess up several times. He knew that he would betray him three times. He knew that he would continue to mess up. He knew in that moment that Judas Iscariot would deny him, would reject him, and would sell him out for a couple pieces of silver. And yet he still offered them an invitation of grace. Can I just tell you? He already knows that you're going to mess this up. He knows you're going to mess it up a million times over, so am I. You're not going to be perfect, and he's not looking for perfection. He's always offering you an invitation of grace. He's offering you the same thing you told Peter you're already clean. Listen, servant leadership begins when you recognize that God already accepts you, that he already loves you, that you're already clean, and that the overflow of this life with Jesus begins to transform the people around you. If you sit in a position where you always have to prove yourself, where you're always trying to prove yourself to God, what you'll end up doing is you'll end up wanting to serve, but you'll end up either taking advantage of people or putting yourself in a position to be served. What he has called you to is a higher calling. One that if the church will take the mantle of it by literally stepping off of our throne and washing the feet of the people around us will change the world. Let me say it again. Servant leaders are marked by love, not domination. They're tender, not harsh. They're sacrificial, not selfish. They're gracious, not greedy. They're clear, not confusing. They're trendsetters, not cultural conformers. May that be who we are in Jesus' name. Father, thank you for my people that you've called us to be together in this place. I pray that you would give us grace. We already know you will. We already know you did. We know that before we ever took our first breath, you knew us in our mother's womb. You knew every hair on our head. We know, like Paul said, that before we ever did anything good or bad, Christ died for us. Help us to live in the gospel, not to be accepted by you, but to rest in the fact that you've already accepted us. Help us to love and serve of an overflow of what you've already done in us and through us. Thank you for washing not just our feet, but our hearts, our souls, in our bodies. May we now, out of an overflow of the love that you had for us, love one another. I pray in Jesus' name.